Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Welcome back, prom party. Oh, hello to this week's episode. (laughs) (laughs) And what is a delightful little bit of happenstance? The movie that we are talking about this week ended up getting a little bit of buzz on social media the week we were recording this because it was one of the films featured on the Valentine's Day episode of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, which no one involved in this week's episode planned, but it was very nice to be like, oh, everyone has seen this movie now. This is perfect. What delightful timing. Serendipitous. Romance? I don't... Yeah. There's, I mean... There's, there's a semblance of love in a very loose sense here. <laughs> I mean, because when you think of love and, and, and Valentine's and all of that good stuff, you, of course, think of Matthew Bright's 1996 Freeway. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure somewhere in... You know, Bob Wolfenstein's dark mind, there is love. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Absolutely absurd. Uh, So, yes, we're talking about Freeway. This is a black comedy thriller. This is, you know, if you've never seen this movie and you are somebody who, you know, has a little bit of discomfort with our edgier films, maybe do a little bit of research before checking this one out. But I'm very excited to talk about this movie. And luckily for us... We are not alone. This was a guest selection, which makes it even better. And joining us today is comedian and the author of Isn't She Great? Women-led comedies from 9 to 5 to Book Smart, Elizabeth Teets. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. My mom is going to be so proud I requested this. (laughs) (laughs) So of all the movies, though, like, okay, tell me, what is your story with Freeway? So I am like a ride or die restan. Um, my I like the last thing I want to see before I die is a double feature of Legally Blonde and then the video where she tells the cop, "Don't you know who I am?" Um, I just <laughs> I just think she's like she breathes so much humanity into every single one of her characters, including this character that she is in Freeway, and I actually love kind of the heel turn she's kind of taken of like in her more mature roles of playing like a hardcore racist in a lot of movies Mm -hmm. oh yeah that that is news to me (laughs) (laughs) because you don't watch tv (laughs) oh that'll do it yeah but she also like makes those characters kind of human um which i think is important to end racism is to 
understand where people are coming from, even if they're completely wrong. Uh-huh. Um, so I just feel like she's doing the good work in everything. And, and up until she kind of became like a rom-com darling, roles like this is what she was really taking is kind of like these dark, fucked up, like Election is an incredibly fucked up film. Mm-hmm. Cruel Intentions is a fucked up film. Like clearly, like either her agent or her has like a streak we don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because this is coming out the same year as Fear, isn't it? I think so. Which is, is. again also a fucked up movie. <laughs> um, and you're totally right, Reese Witherspoon, because I think so many people have just understood her in the public consciousness as. Elle Woods as this character that they have kind of forgotten that she plays in a lot of really edgy sandboxes yeah she really really does I think we're gonna start seeing that more probably as she ages even more Um, but I know right now she has her like book club that I feel like somebody's gonna like email me and be like did you know that Reese's book club is incredibly exploitive and I think that it is (laughs) I don't know all of the details (laughs) Uh, if you want to DM me about that, I will listen to you, um, or I'll just Google it after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I, I can't speak to the ethics of the book club, but obviously there's, we we on this podcast like to hold ands in our hands of somebody can be one thing and another thing. They don't cross each other out. They exist at the same time. So, yeah. you know, and I think that's also an important thing when talking about this movie, the things that are featured in this movie, uh, some of the folks behind this movie. Um, so, Harmony, what did you know about Freeway before, you know, watching it for this podcast? Not a ding dang thing. I booted this up in the in the search bar and I go... Man, Kiefer, what happened to your face? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that. That's it. I I didn't know a single thing about this movie. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Harmony. No, it's okay. I I I was honestly, I thought a lot of this might just be them in the car because it's like, oh, it's called Freeway, and it's one of those '90s kind of movies where it could just be mostly them just in a car together. But uh, no, there's way more to this movie than that. It's a women in prison movie. <laughs> It really is. It's it's uh, a feminist, not a feminist masterpiece. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, parts. definitely. I saw this movie for the first time in high school, and it was because the the box cover art had Reese Witherspoon on it. And I was like, what is this movie? And then I watched it, and I was like, this movie's crazy. I love it. And I like couldn't process my brain around it. And then as I got older and I learned more about film and kind of like the, the different micro communities within film and learned who Matthew Bright was and his connection to you know, Danny and Richard Elfman and like that whole scene and being in Forbidden Zone where he looks weirdly a lot like Trey Parker uh, from South mm-hmm. Park in that movie um, and seeing what that kind of movie is and seeing like where his influences are and what his like creative history is. I was like, OK, this makes sense now. <laughs> this is absolutely the guy who comes up with Freeway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, this but... movie was also number one on John Waters' list of movies that will corrupt you. Okay. Um, which is how I think I was exposed to it. So I really felt like my two film worlds were colliding of like John Waters and Reese Witherspoon. So I was very excited the first time I watched it. Oh, for sure. I could see that very easily, especially with John Waters during this period of his career. He's a little bit more accessible than he had been. Mm-hmm. Um also, if you're retroactively going back and watching, because, oh, it's got Reese Witherspoon. I love her. 
Yeah, <laughs> this is a very different interpretation of what she does as an actress than what most people are probably familiar with. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, what a ringing endorsement, though. To any time John Waters, I think, talks about your movie, that is just the ultimate honor. No matter how it performs at the box office, no matter what any other critic says, if John Waters understands what you're doing, like that is that is such an honor. That's better than being knighted, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I would rather John Waters be like, "This was good," than like win an Oscar. Like, who cares about that? <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Elizabeth, if you had to explain to somebody who's never seen Freeway what the hell this movie is about, what would you tell them? Oh, well, I got to do it to my mom yesterday. I've explained this movie to her several times. My mother is also a big Reese fan, but in her lighter work. So this movie is a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood, where Reese Witherspoon, in one of her early, early roles, plays a baby prostitute being hunted by a serial killer who is Keith Sutherland. Yep. Yeah. That, that's it in a nutshell. She's she's a she's a trick baby. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> and this cast, it like we'll really get into it um in a little bit, but this cast is like shockingly impressive with how many just big names that they got people who were doing a lot of really important work during this time period people who would go on to do very important work um really wild to see you know reese witherspoon and alana yubak in this movie and then they're gonna be sorority sisters and legally blonde together later yeah. which is mm -hmm. so wild uh you know Brittany murphy being young and a lesbian and saying like I love girls and it's like girl same I, I feel this thank you for saying that um <laughs> this movie's just wild um but this is 1996 so Harmony what context are you bringing to the table so this is still a little bit of a dead zone for teen cinema um Clueless came out the year before but that hasn't really picked up steam in terms of influencing the films that are coming out yet um as we've discussed on a lot of past episodes this is pretty much a time where we are pushing like harder R teen films like Fear, I guess, with Mark Wahlberg, the scariest thing you're going to get this year. Uh, you get Scream, you get The Craft. That's that's sort of what you're looking for in a more mature sense. Aside from that, it shifts a lot more to television. You get a billion like made-for-TV releases like Wish Upon a Star, Suzy Q, even like past alum like Matilda. That's not what we're really going to focus on with context this week, though, because there's a specific subgenre of film that doesn't get brought up nearly as much as it used to, which is like something that got greenlit after Pulp Fiction made fuck you money. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Because like Pulp Fiction cost like $8 million. It made over $200 million comfortably. And that's just in theaters, not counting like posters and rentals. And just it made so much money. So they went, cool, let's make more crime movies kind of like this. And they, as they trickle down, they, they get odd where it's like, yeah, you have like, you know, El Mariachi got you Desperado. So Rodriguez, like it makes sense that he gets there. Fargo, it makes sense for like the Coen brothers to get there on their own. But the further down you go, you get kind of like Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels and like Buffalo 66. And it's like, all right, all right, I get this. Then you go a little bit lower and you get like kind of gonzo, lower budget weird movies like Blood, Guts, Bullets and Octane or Headless Body in a Topless Bar. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. these are movies that nobody other than like me and BJ, because I made the, her watch them, because I was like, I don't know, the title seems interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a lot of these crime films, and they just don't really cross over with the teen genre, aside from like Go at the end of the decade. Like this is kind of the the, the purest sense of what like a Tarantino style ripoff mixed with like past exploitation and women in prison films and a lot of other stuff we just weren't doing in the 90s. This is like the only time they all crossed during this period. Oh, it, it is truly a symphony. And I I think it's interesting that you'd like bring all those other films in context with this movie Harmony because all those movies are very man heavy. Oh, <laughs> aren't they just? There's no, and like some of them are still comedies, but this movie... I'm really excited for us to talk about it because, like, so many comedic women are in this movie just mm-hmm. doing really fucked up shit. Yeah, like, this This really is, you know, the the daughter of the Tarantino boom because so many people wanted to kind of replicate what he was doing or, you know, pull these old homages from that exploitation kind of soup, the same stuff that inspired him, and all of them are predominantly men. It's men wanting to swear and blow shit up. And like they that's harshly masculine, yes. <laughs> and so to see this movie be not just, you know, a movie about Reese Witherspoon, but also a movie where the story of itself is very much about like the way that we victimize women and like mm-hmm. the imperfect victim narratives and, you know, that we don't listen to teen girls. We don't like assess actual, you know, trauma and bad backstories of teen girls. Like there's, they're saying some like really important stuff in this movie that is ultimately just banana pants madness the entire time. But it also cares about women in like a really fucked up way. It really does. It's really heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. Oh, yeah. And like this is something I think if you're not familiar with like the films that this is pulling from might might get a little lost on on some people or might be a little confusing just because it's getting served in a very a very atypical way for like what these themes are but when it comes to like exploitation cinema there's a lot of holding two truths there's a lot of uh ands not buts like a lot of the 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 films you're kind of thinking of as like better example would be like like jonathan demi's caged heat or think like pam greer's uh black mama white mama like these are very interesting stories in terms of how they're getting to depict women being badass being strong fighting back against like structures that are awful and men that suck. Um, You don't, you don't get that without all of the ugliness involved. Oh, definitely. And that's, I think what I find most refreshing about this movie is that it is about, you know, uh, yes, it is kind of white trash, red riding hood, which I say that with love. I mean, it's honest about it. (laughs) It's very honest about it. But you're totally right. Like, it is super messy because in order for a lot of this stuff to actually happen in real life to, you know, get get her from point A to point B to point C to point D uh, and back to point A again, uh, yeah, things are a little messy. There's no clean way to do this. There's no holy, ethical, holy, positive way to do it. You're gonna... Life's gonna, messy, man. Yeah, Especially you're gonna take you some weird tactics. Especially if you come from this environment. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but... 
Before we dive in any deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy February, prom party. Over on the Patreon this month, we have tons for you to look forward to. For the Sadie Hawkins dance, we are covering The Way Way Back, which has been something that's been recommended uh, quite a few times from people I know and listeners alike as a very good coming-of-age story, and I'm looking forward to that. As a, as well as something that's slightly outside of the age demographic, but I say that these guys have a lot of arrested development, so it's totally fair. We're doing train spotting as well. Higher up in the tiers, we are on our second month of Daria. Um, unsurprisingly, I really enjoyed the first four episodes that we did last month, and I'm just really delighted by our time and having the reason to go through this. So hopefully you'll join us on that adventure. The documentary that we have decided to cover this month on this little excursion is called Kid 90. It is a documentary by Soleil Moon Fry, who you may best know as Punky Brewster, and apparently she just carried a video camera with her everywhere in the 90s and recorded all of her friends and a lot of her life, and it's all about the struggles of being famous at a very young age and uses a lot of what I guess could be described as archival footage of child stars of the time, and I'm super excited to see what that looks like. In addition to all of our bonus episodes, you can find our monthly playlist, see what each week's episode is going to be ahead of time before everyone else can, get access to the suggestion box, as well as hundreds of past bonus episodes that we've done and, and, and playlists and all sorts of other goodies. As is always the case, especially in these uh, trying times, if you're not able to support the podcast, we love you. We just appreciate that you listen and go on this adventure of healing our inner childs with us. If you haven't already, feel free to leave us a review, a nice five-star one if you're feeling so inclined. Recommend us to any of your friends and leave us some comments. There's been a whole lot of people who have done that for our Spotify as of recently and... Uh, yeah, it's been really exciting and enlightening just to hear directly from people like that without the need for social media. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, back to the movie. Alrighty, so to kick things off, we have got to talk about Reese Witherspoon's character of Vanessa Julia Lutz. Elizabeth, how do you feel about this character? Um, I would love to just take Vanessa Lutz into my home and, you know, treat her right, <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel. I want to, you know, make sure she has an allowance. We'll help on her getting, you know, learning to read and getting a driver's license and just like set her up for success. Just like feed her a nice home cooked meal every day and like tell her that I'm proud of her. Your driver's license might be the easy one. She seems to drive pretty well. Yeah, she does. Probably very <laughs> illegally, though. Oh, <laughs> extremely. I yeah, she does not have a, a, a learner's permit, even. No. I think she's 15 in the movie. That sounds I think so, right. yeah. Yeah. I feel very similarly. She reminds me of a lot of girls I went to school with, um, a lot of the girls that my own parents wanted to kind of parent because they're like you're not getting this at home how can i just want you to eat a meal that doesn't taste like cigarettes like mm -hmm. let me just take care of you um but something that i love is that our introduction to her is at school where 
she is learning how to read and like the amount of pride she has when she figures it out and gets the words right. Like to me, that is such an incredible character introduction to who she is because for all of the madness that she's going to go on and all of the wild shit she's about to do, we know that like at her core, this is who this character is. This girl Mm -hmm. that is very excited about learning how to read, who is very in love with her boyfriend and who, you know, yeah, she, she understands how tough life is, but she hasn't, fully like let it destroy her like she still finds joy where she can and that to me I think is constantly like coursing through this character no matter how bad things get later down in the movie she also has for what it's worth incredible manners yes Uh I know throughout the entire film like the pleases the thank yous the caring about other she has a lot of empathy for other humans Mm -hmm. she's doing a really great job with the tools she has she would make a really excellent like um you know woman who grows up um and like makes all these kind of like gauche design choices (laughs) (laughs) no i i I would think that um it would look very much like a i think a b-52's music video probably i think she's got really bold color choices um, yeah. but yeah, I honestly, I think she's just at her core in every way. She's just unfiltered. Like she's very polite to people who deserve it, but she, 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 she believes things that are right, believes things that are wrong and just acts upon them. And there's no bullshitting with her. And it has like a much more, uh, gritty nineties approach to it, but it has a kind of like fair is fair approach to the legend of Billie Jean, which we did last month where she's just like morally like it's 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 a little like what she's doing is dicey but like she's right everyone who's an asshole in this movie gets what they deserve every mm-hmm. the way she's being treated is not fair and people are judging her very harshly because she's white trash because she's been like you know essentially working the streets since she was 11 honestly when you have like the police during their interrogation or you have bob during his like satiating whatever sick appetite he has by asking a lot of overly personal questions um, it feels so much like people want to learn the truth, not because they care, but because they want answers. And it feels invasive in a way that just, it feels dehumanizing in why they want answers. They're just like, we're trying to explain you. We're trying to wrap our head around you, but we don't actually give a shit. Yeah. yeah it does kind of have this like, you know, unethical true crime sort of feel to the invasive questioning of people having this curiosity, again, not because they genuinely want better for her, but because they, I don't know, they're like fascinated by how she ended up this way. Like, how do you live this life? How do you Mm -hmm. live in this home with your mother and your, you know, pervy stepdad? Like, how do you deal with all of this? And I, you know, to the Tarantino of it all, Amanda Plummer as her mother Oh my god, she is she's so good at playing this character. So, she's mm-hmm. so funny. She's so real. Uh and it just like breathes anybody who is like kind of a parentified child like gets so much joy out of seeing that scene where Vanessa says to the cop, just give her a cigarette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like just easier. And like that yeah. conversation of like, no, I'm not mad at you, mom. I love mm-hmm. you. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. She 
this is not her first song and dance. I mean, and as we see when Mrs. Sheets, played by the always incredible Conchata Farrell, who has looked the same way since 1987, yep. um, <laughs> when she arrives and you realize, like, she's been, she's been through this, you know, system many, many times. Like, she's not even fighting it. She's like, eh, this is, here's how this goes. Here's what I got to do. <laughs> the weird thing I caught on the my rewatch of this this week was that Mrs. Sheets isn't like a social worker. She's a parole officer, but she still like gives her a hug. Well, is, like, she, she cares, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think when you have somebody, you know, that's this polite way coming from these circumstances, I imagine that Mrs. Sheets has, she's seen some shit. Um, <laughs> so like this might be the relief for her of like, Oh, you know, this is a horrible situation. This sucks, but you know what? At least I know in my heart of hearts that Vanessa is going to, like, be nice to me and she's going to not make this any harder than it needs to be. And then, of mm-hmm. course, she makes it harder than it needs to be when she's like, oh, totally. I'm just going to handcuff you to this bed because I am piecing the fuck out of here. Oh, yeah. She's been hardened by being stuck in the system like this before. And, I, you know, what? that gives her every reason to be distrusting of cops. Totally. Um, Bob being a well-respected Republican, which, like... I like Kiefer so much more when he doesn't look like a Republican. I hate it when he gets too Republican. I don't trust him. He's too good at it. <laughs> but he's just like, yeah, I mean, who are they going to believe? You or me? Just look at me. And yeah, she has every fucking reason to be mad. She's She has experience and like actually working her way through like the details of what's going on. It's like. Yeah, no, they they they're gonna fuck me. Like it's gonna it's I'm gonna get screwed over by like the judge and the prison system, everything. I'm like, screw it, I'm just gonna take things into my own hands, and that's awesome. Look, I just Look, I've heard all I'm gonna hear out of you. Oh fuck. So there! Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. And that's for tricking me into telling you all them things I never even told my fiance. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, we're gonna get into an accident! That's a cutting up on my hair, you fucker! Vanessa, look, you're upset, okay? You have every right to be. Look, something dark and terrible came over me. I don't know what, but I swear to you, I wasn't going to hurt you. you got to believe that. You're right. I'm so sure. I'm serious. I just wanted to scare you. I don't even know why. Look, Vanessa, it's obvious to me right now. I'm a, I'm a profoundly sick yeah, man. Yeah, well, I won't argue with you there. Anyone who would do sex to a dead person is definitely sick, mister. Well, you see, you just admitted it there. I'm a sick oh, man. You shut can't... Up! Shut up! Okay, 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 okay. Vanessa, what are you thinking right now? Would you want to hear more of my innermost fucking secrets? No. Fucking asshole. No, I, I, I was just wondering what you were planning on doing. I will turn you into the fucking pigs. That's what I'm going to do. Well, you know what'll happen then, don't you? Yeah, you'll end up sucking gas at San Quentin. Vanessa. You just might. Vanessa, people like me, we don't go to the gas chamber. Then you'll go to the penitentiary where the mighty and brotherhood will make you wish you'd never been born. Vanessa, the likelihood of someone like me going to prison is absolutely nil. You think they're just going to let you walk? It'll be like that time Mr. Morales broke your jaw. You think so, huh? Absolutely. They won't take me for a killer. They'll let me go free. I'll send you to some new foster home. Probably make Mr. Morales' place look like some pleasant dream to you. 
so, you know, she's going to go on the run because she's not going to deal with this. She's got it in her head. She's going to go visit Grandma because, of course, it's a Little Red Riding Hood movie. So uh, she's got to go see Grandma up in well, Stockton. Well, she's going to go, I guess, you know. <laughs> going to see Grandma in Stockton, the one she's never met. Um, and I do like that we see that she has kind of this idealized vision of how things are going to go when she gets to her grandmother. I think this is unfortunately very common for a lot of young people in like troubled situations. Like we even see this a little bit in angel where she's like, well, one day my father's going to come back for me and we're all going to be a family and everything's going to be good. You Mm -hmm. have this sort of delusional seems really harsh, but like it is kind of a sense of delusion that all you need is this one adult figure in your life to give a shit about you, and then all of your problems are going to be fixed, and your life is going to be good. And you just so, want someone to take care of you. Yeah, so the sun is, will come out tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's exactly that. So, like, it's naive is I think a, a nicer word uh, than delusional. Um, but there is this naivety that she is cl- like clinging onto, and I think deep down she also knows this isn't going to work, but. God damn it, it's what she's got left. She's got to hang on to it with both hands or mm-hmm. else she's just going to flounder. Um, that That's very much how I feel about it. But the thing that we see that she doesn't find out until later is that on her you know, way out, she meets up with her boyfriend to be like, I'm leaving. Do you want to come with me? And he's like, no. Also, his name is Chopper Wood, which... Of um, all of the Little Red excellent. Riding Hood names, like they're all kind of pushing it, but Chopper Wood is just like very on the nose. Um, <laughs> and, you know, played by Bokeem Woodbine, who also has wood in his name, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't go. They have, like, the world's sloppiest kiss. Oh, it's so, like, suction-y and, like, <laughs> makes some, like, weird splatting noises. It is noisy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but pretty much, like, immediately after they part, uh, he gets killed in a drive-by. <laughs> uh-huh. It's because he oh. gave his gun away. He couldn't defend himself. Yeah, he reaches into he reaches into his pants, and the gun that he gave Vanessa is missing because he gave mm-hmm. it to her. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> I love this scene not because I love that somebody's dying. That's horrible. But like, I love this scene because he reaches in his pants for the for the gun. Even if he had the gun, like, buddy, like, it wasn't happening. <laughs> but the movie wants you to believe that maybe he could have lived if if not for the gun. He could have taken a couple of them with him, maybe. Yeah, but, like, nah, he was, he was going. Um, mm-hmm. But I do like that we get this establishment of, you know, who her boyfriend is, who the big love of her life is, because... Later on in the movie, when she starts mouthing off uh, to a black cop and dropping slurs, it's like, whoa. Um, and I think that it makes the character a lot more complicated uh, once mm-hmm. that happens. But, you know, we we will get down that line. Um, so, you know, as she's trying to make her way to Stockton, yes, she she runs into Bob Wolfson because <laughs> they've got to have a big bad wolf. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, how do you feel about Kifa in this movie? Oh, man. Just, like, my spine tingles in such an unpleasant way. Mm-hmm. Even just, like, looking at him before they, you know, what eventually ends up happening to his face happens. I actually think he looks better um, with the, like, fucked up face. <laughs> but I, so when I used to, I used to drive around when I was a teen in this, like, volvo that my mom bought i think for a thousand dollars and was just like drive it till it dies and it ended up lasting forever but because of this movie i always knew 
like that if I was on the side of the street, that if it was like a man, no. <laughs> no man will be able to help me if I have any car trouble. And I think this movie scarred me a little bit because of that. You know, maybe maybe it's a good thing you were scarred, though. Who knows how bad. <laughs> right. <could have> <laughs> I mean, and then at the same time, this is a movie, you know, uh, promoted by Mr. John Waters, who has written a book about him hitchhiking across the country. But then again, John Waters also looks like John Waters. He is not a woman. Um, so yeah. that's it was also a different time. Yeah, he's going to he's going to have a little bit of a different experience than uh, I think anyone on this podcast. would. Yeah. Um, Harmony, how about you? How's uh, how's this how's this fit in your uh, roster of keepers? Oh, he's awful. Such a dirt. He's such a dirtbag in a way that like Jack Bauer is like. I hate Jack Bauer for very different reasons than I hate Bob. <laughs> and like it's such a like you know I hate to stick to the cliches and all, but it's like such a wolf in sheep's clothing because he seems just like a good Samaritan. He's like gonna help out. He's gonna give you a lift. He's gonna listen to all of your problems because he just really wants the tea. Um, and you, you know, she's just wants to get anything out and he's right about that one. But like, this is such a dude who's like, I read a book about psychology. I'm just going to regurgitate stuff I read because I, I like to, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly like what kind of psycho nonsense he has floating around in his noggin, but like he, he, he clearly likes to get off on people being destroyed because he sees them as garbage people. He's like, oh, you're white trash. No one's going to miss you. You're a scum. I'm cleaning up the cleaning up the streets. He's, I guess, very Bernie Getz, but as like a serial killer. I, I don't know. <laughs> He's playing with his food for sure. Yes, that's that's definitely yeah. a very nice way of putting it. Um, yeah. And part of his um, ego trip he gets from it from being like this respected Republican gentleman uh with the like most waspy wife ever which we'll get into is mm -hmm. that like um i'm better than you yes. so i i can i can play with you yes that's so much what it is and um yeah this goes on for like a really long time and like they even like stop get food she's like that's the best meal i've had in months um then they get back in the car and she like clearly trusts him and, like, this this is kind of where I'm like, well, you know what? If this just ends up being, like, the whole movie is just kind of this cat and mouse game in the car, then I'm fine with that. It's It feels sort of similar to, like, The Hitcher, but it's less immediately bad from the jump. Like, because Rudger Hauer is so clearly bad, like, immediately in that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, this is a lot more of a slow burn for that in comparison. But, um, yeah, he he really lets his facade slip and just... Like had removed the handle on the inside of the car and was absolutely going to like he was gonna he was gonna kill her and have sex with her dead body apparently but he doesn't say it but he totally is gonna and he didn't yeah. count on this sweet little girl having a gun in her pick a nick basket yeah she definitely has like a wicker picnic basket which is really funny like just really on the nose like not even being subtle which I I, I enjoy if you're gonna commit to the bit like commit hard and they do in this movie um, but the thing that I like love about this characterization because he's so creepy and weird is that they are definitely leaning into this like BTK killer um, mm -hmm. Ted Bundy sort of thing of he doesn't seem super creepy off the bat but if you really pay attention you can tell like yeah of course this guy's a 
fucking weirdo. Um, well, we have I mean, the benefit of hindsight of having right. seen a lot of serial killers get their entire lives unpacked dozens of times over right. the last 20 years. Um, and I mean, he's he's wearing Dahmer glasses. So again, Matthew yeah. Bright is not being subtle at all in this. Um, but I think it's this like very interesting juxtaposition because at one point, um, you know, Vanessa's talking about who her biological father is, and it's a picture of Richard Speck, um, <laughs> which to me is very John such Waters. A good detail. It's like it's a very good detail, but that's also very John Waters because how many times has Divine screamed some form of like "I've blue Richard Speck" like in a movie, like at least three. Um, so. <laughs> Bj, for people who are bad with names, not me at all, but like, who's Richard Speck? <laughs> not you, just say not you at all. <laughs> not me. Just for anybody okay. listening. Um. Well, uh, how do I say this without saying it in a way that is like very atrocious? Um, Richard Speck was a serial killer. He killed um eight nurses uh in Chicago. That's very much what he's he's known for. Um, he's also disgusting. Like he, everything bad that you could do with a dead body, uh, he did it. So oh. we'll just leave it at that. Cool. Um, what a what a delightful fellow. Yeah, he also died, or I don't remember who was executed or not, the exact same day I was born. So, um, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I'm Richard Speck. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder you picked this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Today's episode is with the reincarnated spirit of Richard Speck. Can you imagine? (laughs) What an honor. Um,. wild what a weird thing also richard speck like in prison grew boobs there's like a whole thing that goes on with richard speck it, it there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there are ten thousand true crime podcasts for that um but yeah so seeing like <laughs> richard speck being her father figure um in this which i don't think is true like a part of me thinks that's just a picture that her mom gave her but i don't know her mom's done some wild shit maybe it's <laughs> very possible <laughs> Oh, so weird. Um, So, you know, we've got got her with this, you know, serial killer guy. She, you know, definitely turns the tables. Um, How does he not die from the multiple gunshots? Because she hits him in some places where he should not be alive. Only the good die young, BJ. That's why. Okay. That's that's very fair. That's fair. The classic Um, line of assholes live forever. He's being kept (laughs) alive by pure hatred and evil. So, so like Harmony said, you know, from most of how this movie is promoted, it seems like this is just going to be this highway movie. And it's not like this happens relatively early into the film that she, you know, attacks him. And mm-hmm. then we get to, to witness firsthand how terrible the criminal justice system is and how it is systemically just beyond repair and needs you know completely demolished and built back up in some form or just you know demolished in general uh because this is it's bad everything bad that could happen to her and the mistreatment happens there is no empathy there's no trauma-informed care no one is paying shit all attention to any of the comorbidities psychologically that could exist for her it is awful um so elizabeth how do you feel about this like this this journey we're about to go on so i think it's kind of interesting in like the development of the character because up until bob vanessa is very open to new people despite Mm -hmm. like her backstory so it's not until bob 
cops give us the backstory that like she's been in the system several times that she's been working the streets since she was 11 we don't even really know that because we just see her as like a mostly polite friendly girl um and even when she's arrested she goes hi officers and it's not until they put cuffs on her that like you see her instantly realizing that everything that bob said is coming true she has like this realization of like oh Mm -hmm. they aren't gonna believe me and that's when she's like fuck it i'm not even gonna try so she's she doesn't even really tell the cops the whole story she's instantly combative with them rather than you know telling they go did you ask him if he was the killer when she's like this guy's the killer you're welcome i picked up this guy they don't instantly start believing her and you kind of see her shut down (laughs) and it's depressing because you're like oh no like 20 minutes ago you were such a good advocate for yourself (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's just she opened herself up to one person and he ends up being the worst person she could possibly open herself up to um before that like stuff's just normal like i'm not saying like it should be normal but it's normal for her life that like yeah her stepdad's a piece of shit um her mom works the streets and they both do a bunch of drugs like that's just like become an everyday sort of thing for her versus this which is like a new thing where she's trying to get better and this guy is saying like if you open yourself up you'll come out the other side be better for it and uh just absolutely like lets her down by being a psycho and yeah then everything that he said would happen happens so yeah of course she's gonna be pissed off about it of course she's gonna not want to deal with these cops and that's where you get the scene where she just throws out a bunch of racial slurs, not necessarily because she's racist, but just because she says, oh, I just said what will hurt him the most. Mm-hmm. So I did a weird form of like cross training for this episode. Um, there is an A&E series called Kids Behind Bars, Life or Parole. And it's about juvenile offenders who have been sent away for life in prison um, before there was a Supreme Court ruling that uh, mandatory life terms without the possibility of parole for juveniles is a violation of the Eighth Amendment um, because it's – the way they view it is like a lot of these kids who have been put away were put away before there was more information about like the development of your brain, the way that kids react to trauma, how it's, you know, very different than, you know, the way that adults do. And so like, she is a person who absolutely would have been like, if she went away for as long as they were going to put her away or, you know, they keep saying they're going to, you know, give her the death penalty. um, She would have been one of these people who ends up on these shows of being, you know, in your forties and then, they're trying to determine like should we let you out or you know are you going to stay here for life what is what is going on here because so many of the things that she does once she's arrested and even when she's incarcerated are like textbook of how a lot of these kids on these shows like they're adults now but how they acted when they were kids where it's like they go into court and they do not give a fuck they show no remorse they do not care the gravity of what's going on either has hit them and they are just giving up because they're used to everyone giving up on them or they haven't actually processed the gravity of how severe it is so they don't like acknowledge how big it is um and then once they get into you know juvenile detention centers or jail or prison or wherever they end up going like the first day they all lash out they all freak out they all get violent and then they start adding you know things to their record of showing that you know they're not you know kind it isn't until they're like 25 that a lot of them mellow out and it's like oh yeah because you're 
brain is now developed. Um, so it was really interesting to watch that show and then watch this movie and go, oh, no, like Matthew Bright was really kind of nailing it with how mm-hmm. a person in this situation would react um, as much as it is presented over the top. There is some truth to this, um, which I find fascinating because, again, this is kind of predating the obsession that culture ended up having with things like true crime and, you know, criminal profiling and all that crap. So, you well, know, I mean, at the time, wouldn't it have just been like you primarily learn just by watching whatever is presented on the news or yeah, like reading it, in newspapers? It's watching court TV. Yeah. Which so. is obviously very um, skewed from mm-hmm. its perspective. It's definitely got uh, its own opinions and its own agendas on how things are presented, either in terms of making them the most sensational or in the case of someone like Vanessa, like painting her in a very bad light. So yeah, no dude, dude made some real bold swings that ended up being real right with this movie. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's kind of an interesting kind of Trojan horse message that, um, the person being like tried as an adult as a 15 year old is a little white girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, Oh, maybe you'll care about everyone being tried as an adult at 15, which is a child. Mm-hmm. If you can empathize with this one character. Yeah. Definitely. Well, because yeah. like Reese Witherspoon just comes across as like an America's sweetheart type, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. when she's mouthing off and committing crimes, I think it's difficult for people to readjust their view of her because of the way, especially in America, the way that we are socialized to view young blonde white women um, mm-hmm. versus, you know, any any child Anyone that is else. not white is immediately adultified. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, I do think that there is some, like, <laughs> some subtextual storytelling going on here, um, whether intentional or not. But during this, like, the, the court stuff in the jail, this is when we are introduced to uh, Bob's wife, Brooke Shields, um, <laughs> I'm always happy to see Brooke Shields, but she's a piece of work in this movie. Harmony, were you shocked when Brooke Shields showed up? I well, I w- would have been shocked if I did not see it in the opening credits. Oh, okay. I like I I missed some of the opening credits because BJ had to be like rewind it, and for some reason Shutter wasn't working, so I couldn't rewind anything. But you, I was just like, who did I? Who who was there? What did I miss? And she goes, it's Brittany Murphy and Alana Ubach, and I was like. <gasps> <laughs> I, I love Alana. I'm so excited she's here. But um, yes, I did see Brooke Shields. But uh, I, I just like seeing Brooke Shields and things. I just love her. I love her too. And I love that this Brooke is one of Shields... my favorite roles of hers too. Oh, she's yeah. Excellent. And I love that Brooke Shields, who obviously is you know classified as like one of the most beautiful women to have ever lived, this incredible model. But she also she plays a genre all the time. And Mm -hmm. I know that like she started in Alice, sweet Alice. So like, that's always going to be a part of her. But even after she became like a superstar, she still was willing to play in these weird, weird movies, which I really enjoy. Um, But this, this character, uh, Elizabeth, how do you feel about this character? Oh my goodness. So I just recently, I think it's like, because I'm from the West coast, like, I've known what a wasp is from, like, watching Sex in the City, but it's not, like, a term that, like, I regularly used growing up or, like, really had, like, a lot of cultural context for. And then after I seen this movie, I was like, okay, this is my new point of reference <laughs> for what yes. a wasp is. Yeah, nailed it. Yes. <laughs> 
Like the way she talks about Vanessa is so insidious and is so waspy. Oh my God. Like I want to like fight her so bad. <laughs> like well, I understand the stand by your man bullshit. I, whatever. But the way really she is that though, <laughs> the way she villainizes Vanessa and just completely dehumanizes her. Oh my God. Like she's great at this role. It is a delicious role for her, but also uh, I hate her so much. Oh yeah. Like, you know, this is what we would have called a Karen in 2020, even though <laughs> right. she doesn't have the haircut, but this is like, this giant uh, kind of southern or suburban, you know, closer to closer to God kind of haircut. This is what would be a hair a Karen haircut of the time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And she's so vile, but she's so beautiful and so perfectly dressed. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's a delight to watch. Oh yeah, I mean, you just look at their home later on, and it's like, oh, there's so much white. Uh, it's so pristine like I feel like I'm in a museum it's it's Cameron's house from Ferris Bueller's like it's like a museum it's very cold you can't touch anything it's like one of those homes not ugh hate it and it says so much about like her character and who Bob is when he's not being the real Bob yeah yeah she doesn't know the real Bob I am always fascinated by women because I think it, it happens still today more than people realize by people who don't know who they're married to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, on all different kinds of levels. Like, obviously, there's, like, really fucked up extremes, like, in this movie. But even though you see these TikTok challenges of, like, poor straight girls who just, like, oh, I want to do a fun challenge. And then the dude just, like, flips out. Or he's, like, really rude. Or he's incompetent. Or, you know, varying levels of, like, oh, and then you just sort of watch a woman process in real time for the whole internet. I think I hate my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Or like, I, you know, I read Am I the Asshole Before Bed because I'm a terrible person and, you know, the schadenfreude of others helps me sleep at night. Um, but <laughs> there's always so many stories of people that are like, my husband, I think, is having like an entire second family or mm-hmm. any of these numerous horror stories where I'm just like, how does this happen? Been. And, like, the thing is, I can wrap my head around it. I understand how this happens. You know, when you have that much money and you don't have to hyperfixate on every aspect of your life, yeah, you're not going to question what your husband's keeping in the weird shed in the back. That's that's his business. Why why is it any of your concern? Well, you yeah, you're nothing not to be fixated concerned on surviving the way that people who don't have money have to worry about it. So you have to find other ways to feel alive. Exactly. Which is why, like, she's not going to notice at all what's going on underneath her nose. Meanwhile, you have Vanessa, who is constantly in survival mode, who can effectively break out of prison because she's resourceful. He's unable to have sexual relations. You're saying your husband is no longer capable of achieving an erection. That part of our lives is over now. What makes me so angry is how that little monster ridiculed us during her preliminary hearing in the media. How dare the media talk about how horrible her life is? What about us? Psychopath. She's been locked up nine, ten times. Why was she ever let back out on the streets again in the first place? If the teenager who allegedly shot your husband were here, what do you want to say to her? Was it worth the $300 she stole from my husband? Are you bitter, Mr. Wolverton? Letters that we received for across the country. 
My dick may not function, but I have not lost my smile. I also want to talk about the the time in prison and specifically the meeting of Alana Yubak and Brittany Murphy. Yes, they have character names, but they are just actors that forever are them to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love Alana Yubak being like tough bitch. Oh. I love this for her. <laughs> like her introduction is Brittany Murphy, who is like kind of tweaking while talking about how much she loves girls just being like, uh oh, it's a chola. And then she comes over and I'm like, I love her. <laughs> I love Alana Yubak in everything, but like, look at her. That's a bad bitch. And then <laughs> Vanessa has like, of course, the classic prison mentality of like, oh, you gotta take down the biggest dude in the yard. In this case, it's her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I don't understand the rhyme or reason of how this prison functions. I don't understand how they were allowed to go to a gas station and not all be chained together. I don't know how any of this works. I don't care. I've suspended my disbelief. Dude, it's this fine. This is like the prison from Face Off, but minus the technology with the magnetic boots. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to watch it do things. How about you, Elizabeth? How do you feel about like the prison stuff? I watching it. And I think maybe they're not allowed to be chained together. I just, you have to suspend your disbelief. The fact that they went into the bathroom by themselves was also, I was like, well, I guess if she's in, if the lady's in there with them, then one of them could like slip past her, which is why she's like standing outside the door. And just, I I had to just suspend my disbelief for that as well. But I was like, it's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you, in order for a movie like this, you literally have to, you, you figuratively have to hitchhike your way along where it's like, we're just going for a ride. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to really think about like how dangerous it is to hitchhike, but we're going to go for a ride with this movie and I'm just going to trust you to get me to, you know, from point A to point B and I'm going to enjoy the scenery. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And I like that we do have this, you know, understanding of, you know, Vanessa and Alana Yubak uh, to where she helps her escape and helps her get out because that's just, you know, the girls got to stick together. Like, I mm-hmm. love that they have this realization of like, why are we fighting each other? We did not put each other in these situations. The system is what fucked us. And it's time that we fucked the system back. Fuck oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I also love, love that, like, even though she whooped the shit out of her and like maybe broke her nose, they're just like, yeah, I respect you, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, good. I love that. They are the most emotionally mature characters in the entire movie. But for real, though. Oh, there's no question. <laughs> like, no doubt about it. And I love that when they get out, too, there is this, like, moment where, you know, <laughs> she admits, she's like, well, I was stepping to you because I was going to, you know, I was trying <laughs> I was trying to fuck you. And she's like, oh, I mean, we could do that now if you want. And she's like, no, 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 I only do that on the inside. And I was like. I love this. I mm-hmm. love this so much. <laughs> so silly and so wonderful. And like, yeah, Reese has a little bit of like, you know, kind of like survival sexual stuff, but also I think a little bit of like not caring because she is a little desensitized based on her own life. And I weirdly appreciate that this is presented in a matter of fact way that there oh, yeah. isn't some like big sweeping monologue to explain why she is the way she is. This movie is very much just like, yeah, she's got weird intimacy issues. Don't think about it. Just let her live her life. And it's like, okay. She okay. tells Brittany um, Murphy like, Oh, I'll make out with you, but that's it. Yeah. She says, I'll make out with you, but I'm straight. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> just gals being pals gals being pals <laughs> um so yeah she does eventually you know 
She makes it to uh to to Stockton with grandma. Uh the cops realize um she's not uh this bad person that she's being painted at that there's probably some more to this story. And I this part like I have mixed feelings about, but the the big aha factor for it is the cop that she called the N-word and a bunch of other slurs learns that she had a black boyfriend and is like, there's more to this girl. Um, and that <laughs> feels like such a weird fucking thing. Oh, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> the, the word he uses is coal miner, which I have not heard that one before. And then drives two and a half hours away to a crime scene and then finds her ponytail that had been cut off. And some, like just no, it's like an empty field. And somehow no one had found that before. And he went, oh, no, there's he did cut her hair off. I think there's truth to this. And like, that's the thing that pushes them into investigating more. It's so weird. And then even like when they just open, when they go and they search Bob's house. And at first, Brooke Shields is being like a total bitch. Uh Um, But they like open the they open that shed and there's like just a waterfall of porn. It's it's a waterfall of porn, but it's like confusing because it's like young girl porn. But it's like, wouldn't this be illegal? How do? But it's magazines. It's the whole setup of that. My my understanding as a person who used to work in porn stores is that um, most of those things were a little bit like barely legal or eighteen, you know, eighteen year olds, and it's like no, they're like twenty six. They just look young. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I don't think, think – I think the fantasy is all Bob cares about. Yeah, and I think it's like there's the implication because we see Polaroids that are flipped face down that maybe that's like the true like insidiousness of it is like in between all of these barely legal mags, there are these Polaroids that we don't see for obvious fucking reasons. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I made sense of it in my brain. Um, well, they said there were human remains in the shed too. Yeah. And- Oh, yeah, which well. is just Bob. Why are you so lazy? <laughs> right. What do you? Why do you have just like your pervy murder shack? Like, I guess that speaks to the audacity of rich white men of thinking like I'm untouchable. I can just have this in a shed protected by a single bike lock, and no well, one's gonna <laughs> say. My my question is, how do you even go in there? It's like every time he opens it, it just falls out, and he has to shovel it back <laughs> right. in to lock it back up. <laughs> Like, what if one of the ones you like is, like, at the bottom? Like, that's the specific mag you're looking for. You're like, you should organize your stuff better, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a nightmare. But I, like, the thing that this movie does so well, though, is that it is constantly walking this line of, like, crass and camp. Because Brooke Shields realizing that her husband is a murderer who specifically targets young girls, uh, extremely young girls, um, is jarring. Like, it is very, very jarring. And her delivery of, like, it's kids or, like, it's children Mm -hmm. um, and, like, the devastation on her face is so very, very real. And the response to that is going upstairs and killing herself um again that is a very real thing but the timing of it is so comedic that it doesn't ever feel too heavy and Mm -hmm. that is such a that is such a tight tight rope to walk and this movie does it really really well in my opinion oh i think so um especially like i watched the trailer for this movie before we um sat down to record and the trailer does not paint this as being a funny movie 
or having like a like a real emotional center. It's more it, it feels much more like a like a 70s exploitation film, but like it's focusing on like the really titillating, uh, like sleazy, dangerous, violent aspects to it. Because, I mean, we're in a post Pulp Fiction world. That makes sense. But um, yeah, no, this is a dark comedy, like a very dark comedy. Like it's silly. It's absurd. It's got these very over-the-top situations and performances. And, you know, I just, like, I think this might be a little much for some people, but I eat the shit up. Like, it is so perfect. I mean, even I... just Dan Hedaya being in charge of the investigation, that is going to read funny to me, just him existing. He's a funny guy. <laughs> what movie was he not in? I was just, like, trying to, he was in, <laughs> he was in Dick, he was in the First Wives Club. I'm trying to think, I was like, is he this man? Okay, Dan Hedaya and Victor Garber are in every single, they are like the supporting men in every single female-led comedy, Uh (laughs) like the 90s and the odds. I mean, they're really doing the work. He's the dad in the very first episode of our show. He's the dad in Clueless. Yes. (laughs) The year before this. Oh, oh, Dan Hedaya. Yeah, him just being here and like being a tough, grizzled cop of this, like, we've got to look into this investigation. And it's like... What are, you, what are you doing here, man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, he, he is here and he's a delight. And it's he's constantly because Dan Hedaya does this thing with his face where he raises his eyebrows, where he both looks like he's so disappointed in you. And also you've told him something he's never heard. And he's processing learning something new for the first time in his entire life, even though he should definitely know this information by now. He's got um, the most <laughs> expressive eyebrows. That's why I think he does such a good job, like playing opposite teen girls. Is yeah. like, is he's like learning from them. <laughs> yeah, he also he reminds me a lot of my dad. So like, there's also that is always going to be you know endearing to me. Um, yeah, so <laughs> she gets she gets to Stockton. She goes to see grandma, and again that like optimism of like. Grandma, it's me. I'm your granddaughter, and I'm going to be here to take care of you forever and ever. And it's like, oh, there she is. There's that sweet Vanessa we know and love. Yep. And like this climax where I'm just like, I was just giggling on the couch because I'm like, yes, if the, uh, you know, sort of animated opening sequence of like the big bad wolf over the opening credits, like didn't give it away. Like, yes, we are clearly all in on this to the point where we put Kiefer Sutherland, who somehow has done so well in physical therapy that over whatever months this is, he went from being wheelchair bound to is like now able to get into like full body altercations and fights. But he's in like under the covers in like a plastic shower cap of this trailer like being like, look, I'm a sweet old lady. And it's so silly because they committed that hard to this being a Red Riding Hood story. <laughs> yeah. Once like she was walking in, a Harmony like looked over to me and goes, oh, my God, they're going to do it, aren't they? And I was uh-huh. like, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, they're, oh, they're do doing it. it. Oh, what big eyes you have, Kiefer. <laughs> And also, like, again, like, not – it's probably not intended to be as funny as it is. That's a lie. It's Matthew Bright. It's definitely intended to be as funny as it is. But, like, dead grandma in the corner with, like, the face of horror looking like the guy from Death Becomes Her who died mid-orgasm. Like, that's mm-hmm. what she looks like in this movie. Oh, and yeah. it's just like, why do we Ugh. keep panning the camera to this? And, like, she's like, you killed my grandma. And he still, like, gives this sassy wonder of, like, this sassy quip of, like, that's not all I did. 
I'm like, right. oh my it's god. Like, what the hell, Kiefer? What are you doing, man? I like can't believe he signed on for this. Interlooper of like a neighbor that comes over to like do a favor. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so at least you can know, like, oh, the grandma was like a nice person. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> oh God. And like we're kind of even paving over the fact that like there's her going back onto the street so she could steal some dude's car. And he was going to pay her for like $5 for a blowjob. So like, fuck that guy, throw him in the trunk. Yeah, Vanessa, you are so much, you are worth so much more than $5. But something else this movie does, again, hilarious, is she's in a a neighborhood where they mostly speak Spanish and she is speaking Spanish, but she has her like cute little Southern twang accent of like, yeah, muy bueno. (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's so cute and funny because it's so sincere Mm -hmm. oh my god this movie yeah i think at one point she's like sexo (laughs) yeah who who wants sexo it's it's so perfect um and then like the the shot for me of the movie is bj pointed out is going like look how fucking good that is i'm like oh and they would have done that with a drone now and it wouldn't have looked as good is like when they get to the trailer park and she's like wearing her like little red leather skirt and is walking like perfectly down the middle of lane of these trailer parks. And like, it's up on a crane and I'm like, yeah, she's got like, she's, she, she, she just looks so cool. She's on a mission. This shot is great. It's perfectly center. I love it. She's such a badass. Yeah. It is like, to me, the, the shot that really encapsulates like what this movie is, is it's like bad bitch on a mission, like red leather skirt trailer park like it really just like hits it it's beautiful like it is a beautiful shot in this movie um yeah it's it's art i love it so much um and you know she she fights back because again um no one is gonna save her but her uh which i think is a very strong message throughout this entire movie and by the time the cops even get there, uh, she does the first thing that her mom did when her mom got arrested and she asks for a cigarette. And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, live trash, die trash. Love you so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like an open ended ending. But like they believe her. But at the end of the day, she still has a man in that trunk right now. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the situations where it's like, uh, hey, Guy, uh, did this girl steal your car? And it's like, well, why did you? Were you trying to solicit sex from a 15-year-old? Yeah. Right. And we're so only like, going to pay her who, $5. Who is really breaking bigger laws here? Yeah. it's That's true. And, and, that's, and that's, I think, what is so good about this movie is that it is constantly playing this idea of, like, you know, imperfect victims. Because she is victimized throughout this entire movie in multiple ways by multiple people by multiple systems and yet you want like you want her to win the entire time it doesn't matter how she gets there beating people up stealing cars shooting bad guys like whatever it's like no that's that's what she deserves to be doing right now because what what do you want her to do just take it no fuck that um and I, i don't know it's just there's something so incredible about this movie and what it has to say about like the way we victimize teen girls in a way that I think you can only get away with being this honest by putting it in a movie that is this unafraid 
because mm-hmm. I think if you try to present it in like a drama or, you know, something that's like PG-13, it oh, then... this would have made a terrible drama. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What it a turns, snore fest. <laughs> it turns into like weird, like after school special, very special episode territory where it becomes like really cheesy of like, hey, guys, Vanessa is from a really difficult situation we should be more thoughtful maybe that i understand why you're lashing out so hard i get it like you can't gentle parent this child like that's not how this Mm -mm. works Mm -hmm. and so to see this movie take such giant stances it can only do so because it takes such giant swings and i have so much respect for that oh yeah and like even towards the start of the movie when uh larry is getting high like her stepdad uh, he's then tries to like make moves on her while mom's outside, like work in the streets. Um, she like gets like on top and starts like punching the shit out of him. And mm-hmm. like, even then it's like, Oh no, she was always willing to like fight, uh, fight dudes who suck. And then by the end here, it's like come full circle. And she is just going to eliminate the problems. Like she is hardened. She is cool, but like she still is the same kind of girl. It's just, She's gone through some stuff in the meantime, and I just love movies where young girls get to be powerful but still get to be girls. Um, it's like my favorite thing in the world. My money's in my briefcase in the back seat. Don't move it. Just lean over and open it up where it's lying. And keep your pants where they are, Mr. Dirty Mouth. Okay. 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 Don't swing that motherfucking thing at me. I swear to God, you're dead. You believe me? Why are you doing this? Because I'm pissed off and the whole world owes me. And give me your goddamn money. Where's the rest of it? That's all I got. You was just gonna give me five dollars? Please, please, please. Just take it, okay? Please? Get out of the goddamn car right now, you little pecker snot! So something else that this movie has that, you know, we didn't talk a whole lot about that we should definitely talk about, though, is the 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 sexuality and like the almost like sexual fluidity in this. But then we do have the hard and fast lesbian of Brittany Murphy. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, how you, how you feel about this? <laughs> I love Brittany Murphy. She, just like she's just she just loves girls. She's not sorry about it. And she loves all girls she doesn't care if you're straight if you still want to make out a little bit she's into it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and i love how refreshing it is too because the 90s especially the the dichotomy of queer girls tended to either be purely like this is male fantasy hour like very porny or it is like very very hardened like you know oh the 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 stereotype of the scary butch dyke and it's like there was no anything in between and so then you have this character of Brittany Murphy who is so obsessed with girls and loves all of them but also she's like odd and a little weird and you know her, her haircut is a little strange so it is this like she's dripping with like sexuality and love and yearning but at the same time like this isn't going to be the type of like 
porno-y thing that like straight men are gonna fantasize about mm-hmm. um and i but at the same time she's also super cute so that like there is this like weird sort of allure to the situation it's really fascinating and very refreshing to see in a 90s movie which is either like either you're something that i'm gonna villainize or you're something that uh i'm going to fetishize and the fact that she exists outside of that dichotomy uh brilliant i love it so much <laughs> i mean what's that thing everyone says about how facial scars are hot <laughs> right. yeah. so like right. there's, there's that but like I, to bring this back kind of to like the general thought concept of like women in prison films or like how we portray queerness um that was also like a thing that you did for that genre which was this is how you can display like queer sexualities particularly for women and in, like in the 70s it was very titillating it was supposed to be for like the male gaze without going like full erotica but this is kind of a vehicle of getting to display it in the 90s in a way that you weren't going to get to without using the genre to your benefit. Because, um, like, I think that, you know, we make jokes about it, particularly with, like, men's prisons, um, like, post-Oz especially. But, like, people, people, I think, excuse, like, queerness if it happens in prison. And, like, I think the movie uses it to its benefit during a time where we didn't know that, like, Tu Wong Fu and the Birdcage were going to be like big films this decade yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And no, I think that's yeah. a really good point too, is that especially when we talk about sexuality in prison, you're right. Like when it comes to men, it's either, you know, exclusively talked about as a a means of control and power or it's a really disgusting homophobic joke and then in women in prison it's either a you know a joke or it's just this embracement of like yeah women have needs too like women mm-hmm. desire sex too and in some I mean, it's instances the thing that so many people tuned into orange is the new black for right and like yeah. in some instances yes it is you know a means to an end but then there are plenty of characters that just are gay like some of them mm-hmm. some ladies like ladies and it's nice to have her here where you know we we get both because we get Alana Yubak who's like yeah I only do that on the inside and then you have Brittany Murphy that's just like nah I love girls inside outside upside down let's go (laughs) yeah and she's not looking for love she's just seeking pleasure Mm -hmm. yes which is super tight especially because like the queer films that like I just mentioned like they're much more clean cut they're much more safe they're palatable just like gay people who want to just fuck and like that's just it like oh i'm not looking for love or to tell this like heartwarming story it's just like yeah i like sex i like girls yeah. what's wrong with yeah. that like that's that's not something you saw nearly as much even by the end of the decade when you get to like but i'm a cheerleader it's very innocent and it's about love it's not about fucking mm-hmm. yeah and i think too being able to have this kind of plot in here in a movie that is also so much about like sexual violence is really really striking to do because it does kind of have this reminder of like yes there is a lot of like really bad stuff that happens in this world but there's also a lot of like really wonderful and pleasurable stuff that happens and I like that in a very weird way it also shows that like even people with like these terrible backgrounds can still find pleasure because I, I can only say this for myself, but that is like a narrative that always really bothers me about, you know, talking about people who have survived like sexual violence is that yes, for some people, absolutely. It becomes like a, a no, a non-issue. Do not touch me. Do not talk about it. You know, that is a closed section, but for other people like myself, like sex is still a very important part of my existence and surviving violence does not take that away. So to see this happening in a movie 
is, again, it's refreshing because it's taking a swing that a lot of other movies would be too afraid to take because I think they'd be afraid of like, well, what is this saying? And it's like, it's saying that some people fuck. It's Mm -hmm. saying that even people who've been through bad shit still fuck sometimes. And I I don't know. I just, it's a bold choice and it paid off. (laughs) Even those like really gross kisses (laughs) between Vanessa and Chopper. Mm Mm-hmm are like kind of heartwarming when you put it into like the context of how much abuse she's been through. Oh, for sure. Especially because like, that's just how teens kiss. Like movies very rarely like display teens as like sloppy, smooching, horny monsters like they are. (laughs) Like, I remember a lot of times where like, this was just kind of how kissing ended up going from like ages of like, 14 until like maybe 20. This was just, you know, you rolled the dice. It was a 50-50 shot that this was kind of going to be the kiss that you were going to get depending on how, you know, hungry somebody was. <laughs> but no, you're totally right. Like when she is kissing him as much as it is like, oh my God, this is how she kisses somebody she actually wants to kiss. And like, that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing is this passion she has, you know, being, you know, given to a person that she want, like willingly consensually wants to give this to. And yeah, there's just, there's so much happening in this movie and on its surface, it does seem like something that can be so easily dismissed. But when you really sit with it, you're like, there, there's so much going on here. Like, it's ridiculous how dense this movie is with the themes themes it's handling. Yeah, it's, um, maybe I will make my mom watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I want to do that. I wouldn't do that to her. I was like, can, <laughs> I your, think... can your mom hang? Because this, this would be a very cool mom. My mom can hang. I don't think she can hang this much. Mm. Uh, you know, that's reasonable. I, I don't <laughs> like some of our listeners. I think this is not going to be the movie for them. But, you know, it's for people who love it. This is going to be your jam. Yeah. <laughs> for the girlies and the gays who really like things like 13 but wanted to be funnier. Definitely. <laughs> well, as we're kind of wrapping things up, Harmony, Freeway is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Or are you buying her tickets so she can go on her own? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've said it throughout the whole episode. Like, this is totally my shit. Um, Anybody who knows me knows that the best movie ever made is Angel by Robert Vincent O'Neill. And I just like, uh, I like it when when teenage girls who, like, do sex work fight serial killers. Like, it's a real (laughs) small genre, but God damn it if every single time it doesn't knock it out of the park. So So it's a big bet yes for me. Beautiful. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us and for bringing this incredible film to talk about. And you've got a very, very cool book that's out. Would you like to tell the listeners about your book and where they can find it? Oh, yes. Thank you for having me. Um, My book is an anthology of essays. It's called Isn't She Great? Women-led comedies from nine to five to book smart. And it has essays that are encompass that kind of era of film. So cover Legally Blonde, we cover um, Bridget Jones Diary, cover Bring It On, things like that. And then it's based off um, my film series at the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon that I host with Anthony Hudson, where we show all these wonderful movies. Um, and so you kind of got dual marketing in that way. <laughs> um, and you can get it wherever books are sold, preferably at your local independent bookstore. Beautiful. And where can people find you or your work online if you want them to find you online? Uh, the best place to follow me is on Instagram. I'm at ELTeats um, because that's where you're going to actually like 
see my face and not just like my opinions um, on Elon Musk, which I don't have any. So I mostly don't tweet. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, friends, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and now Threads at The Sense at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor or on uh, Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. Uh, I will. Pro- I don't think I will be getting threads. I got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> You're wiser than I. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band are you recommending this week inspired by Freeway? So this soundtrack is done by Danny Elfman, and it is the least Danny Elfman soundtrack I've ever heard. Uh, because like even some of his stuff, like Goodwill Hunting, like there's some, there's some magic, there's some whimsy that sounds like Danny Elfman. This just sounds like so strongly like the nineties in a way that is, I, I would have never known had the credits not told me that it's him. So I just needed something that sounded like really hard edged, really, uh, aggressive and real nineties, but I wanted some feminine energy. So the band you're getting this time is called Jigsaw Youth. They're an all-girl band um, that does, like, 90s punk and grunge. They're very um, they're very noisy, but they can also get into, like, some really nice, like, sort of, sort of incubus layers to, like, how they do, like, weirder alternative rock. But mostly they're just, like, pissed off and loud. And I think that that is just the bomb.com. So, uh, BJ, I, I was playing you a little bit of this before, and I believe your words were... Oh, I just thought this was from 1996. Yeah, the, it's kind of weird how well they tapped into the mid-90s sound to the point where if I did not know better, I would have just assumed this is a band from the 90s that I'd never heard of. Uh, big fan of Jigsaw Youth, going to be listening to a lot of them this weekend, I think. Good. I love that. Um, they've been releasing singles for the last couple of years, no like official uh, LP or anything like that. But as far as my favorites are concerned, I really like Stranded, Sit On It, and Lovesick. Any song that's called Sit On It immediately like gets <laughs> points for me. <laughs> Perfect, yes. <laughs> and yeah, that is Jigsaw Youth. So, alrighty, that takes us out on Freeway. We will see you all next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. could go through their whole lives never being in the girls. I just, I love girls. You can keep them. You don't know what you're missing. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.